Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 452, with my boy, Doug Mullins. A personal uh, philosophy that I try to hold, which is that of balance, and balance and blending. And if you think about the symbols for yin and yang, you've got the light and the dark, and they both curve into the other, but there's a spot of each in the other. And it's that blending. It's that blending of systems and culture. It's that blending of, is it a transaction or is it a guest? Well, sometimes it's a transaction. Sometimes it's a guest. Neither one is completely right or completely wrong. It's a blending of that. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. Gusto is making payroll benefits and HR easy for modern small businesses. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service to take care of your team. To help support Restaurant Unstoppable, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months Free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. 89% of guests research a restaurant online before dining out. Your website is your first impression. So answer me this question honestly. What does your website say about your restaurant? Also, websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that can help you drive revenue. Head over to getbento.com and see why thousands of restaurants trust Bento Box with their websites. And if you mention Restaurant Unstoppable, you can save up to $1,500 on initial setup. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Doug Mullins. Doug, my man, are you feeling unstoppable i am indeed (laughs) yes after receiving a degree from western illinois university doug pivoted to a career in sales in 1991 he opened his first bar and grill and would open three additional operations by 2005 in 2004 doug bought into a national sports pub franchise and then transitioned to become a franchise or consultant for that same operation and in 2014 he joined owita michael restaurant group as their director of operations or obviously I'm just scra- scraping the surface. Uh, you, you've done a lot. You, you're just, I'm sure an abundance of knowledge. I can't wait to learn more about you, uh, what you know and how you got to where you are, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us? My favorite thing to say is service is the science of meeting the guest needs. Hospitality is the art of exceeding the guest expectation. Dive into that. Really break it apart and tell us what, you, what how that resonates with you. Well, for me, when you're dealing with guests, you know you can just get them what they need, and there are situations where that's perfectly fine. You you know you're doing a, for instance, quick serve atmosphere, or maybe even a modified quick serve where the guest orders their food, orders their drinks. They need to get them quickly and efficiently. And that's really what your purpose is. But the hospitality industry and the part that we really focus on in the Weed and Michael restaurants is creating a memorable experience for the guest 
because in the long run, restaurants are really about the experience. You can buy food at the grocery store. You can grow it in your garden. You can go out and hunt it on your own. But restaurants are really about giving people that dining experience. And hospitality means, you know, not just giving the guests what they want. It's anticipating the guest needs. If you think about that as the basis of your operation, we're going to do everything we can to anticipate the guest needs and exceed their expectations. That's what really brings it to the bottom line. Yes. What a great way to get this thing started. Uh, I don't need to say or add anything onto that. You said it all. Uh, so where did it all start for you? So you graduated from Illinois University, or sorry, Western Illinois University. Uh, did you know, did you have a clue at this point what you were going to do with your life? Well, no. I, I had intended to go into teaching in 1982. The teaching market was a, a little slim, and I decided to go into sales uh, kind of as a way to pay the bills for a while. It turned out to be a, a, a good career move for me in terms of my ability and in terms of adding skills. And frankly, those sales skills have come in very handy for me in the hospitality industry. Um, but then, you know, I had worked in a hamburger, local hamburger place when I was uh, 15 years old. I started out, spent some time as a dishwasher, then a prep and line cook in a country club restaurant. But I didn't think that I wanted to be in the restaurant industry. I thought I wanted to do other things. But as I started looking at the desire to really pack my own chute, to have my own business, to determine my future, I, I looked towards the, the bar and grill industry. There was an opportunity in the suburb that I was living in, a suburb of Chicago. There was an opportunity. I took a leap of faith. And uh, from there, I just built on that experience. I was, a, I was fortunate to be in an area and in a time where things were growing, things were positive. Um, there was a, a good flow of, of new residents to the area, uh, and I was able to change the personality of an existing business that I bought and turn it into a success story. And with that, as any success story, I was able to leverage into a second location. Let's tap the brakes because I want to dive in deeper. I feel like there's some good things that can come out to, of your story up to this point. Um, so why the bar and grill industry? Let's bring it back to like you had this opportunity to uh, open a bar and grill. What was it about this industry? What drew you to it? Why did you want to take this opportunity? Well, the reason that it really appealed to me from the start was in college um, because I put myself through college. Uh, I, I would take any job I could get basically. I had one job that I worked lunches in the dorm cafeteria and then literally ran to class, not to overuse the term literally, but it was literally <laughs> running. I ran to class every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to get to my one o'clock class. Uh, and at night, I found a job working in a bar. Okay. Uh, I started off as, uh, we would say doorman, but let's be frank, I was a bouncer, and then worked my way up to some bartending shifts. So I was familiar with that business. And I, I knew some of the pitfalls. I knew some of the positives and the negatives just from being around it and being interested in college. Mm -hmm. So that is what really led me to say, I think I can do this. So do you think – I'm assuming it was the positives that drew you to the industry. Uh, you knew the negatives. But what were the positives that you think most drew you to the industry? Well, the positives for me were it was someplace where I could use – my ability to make connections with people that I'd learned in the sales field to 
help build my business because especially when you're talking about the bar and grill business everybody loved the tv show cheers for a reason you know that was a home to these people and that was a comfort zone and for me it was the opportunity to create that by building relationships with people by creating a welcoming comfortable atmosphere and sort of a, a second family a home away from home and looking back in some of the characters that I'd known back in my time in college working at, at a college bar I said I, I can do this I can I can take this existing business and I can turn it into that so you just mentioned a couple of things that I really want to kind of pull apart. Uh, you said your ability to connect with people. And even earlier, you mentioned that it was those soft skills from sales that you think was what you were able to leverage to be successful in this industry. So uh, how, what people were you connecting? Dive into what you meant by your ability to connect people. In what sense are you connecting people? Well, I think one of the things that, that really makes a difference, especially when you're dealing with that piece of the hospitality business, is the ability to make uh, a connection with somebody based on some common uh, commonality for you know lack of a better way to put it so whether it's um, you know a, a shared experience a shared interest um, you know it, it, and sometimes it's really the ability to listen process and retain what people have told you and I will tell you that it, as a as a bar and grill owner one of the things that I always, tried to drill into each of my bartenders was if you don't do anything else when a new person comes in you need to remember what they drink what they do for a living and what is their favorite hobby you can almost not know their name names are helpful but if you know what someone does for a living and if you anticipate what it is they drink and you say, would you like another, you know, Jack and Diet Coke? Okay. Maybe everyone else asks this person if they want a Jack and Coke, but you knew it was diet. Mm -hmm. Okay. You've made a point. So how are things at the can factory? Been working a lot of overtime yeah. lately. <laughs> so you just start in the conversation. There you go. Yep. And then you say, well, I hope you're getting enough time to go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So you've created well, a connection with one, that two, person. three punch right there. And then you then you go on from there. And, and sometimes it's a give and get. It's a quid pro quo where you might give a little information about yourself like, I don't have the patience to go fishing, which is really true about me. I, I don't have the patience for fishing. Maybe you're just not good at fishing. <laughs> that could be too. But, um, you know, I, I need a little more instant gratification than waiting yeah. hours for nothing. Um, but so you, you create those relationships, and that makes that guest want to come back. And it's, that doesn't just work across the bar. That works at a table with a server. That in, in a, It might not be that in-depth, and it might not be that personal, but it might be remembering what that guest yeah. ordered the last time they were in. Awesome. So when I first heard that, I was like, oh, like he's connecting. I was like, I wonder how he's going to tie in connecting people. Uh, like, oh, like this person's good for that person. I was like, I wonder what, what his angle is. Uh, but I heard you wrong. You meant like actually connecting with that person that's right there in front of you, connecting with them one-on-one -on -one is what you meant by that. Well, uh, I'm going to interrupt you and say that you hit on another part of that. <laughs> okay. There's also a connection with the other people around mm -hmm. that guest. 
So especially if you're talking about a bar and grill atmosphere where you have some people sitting next to each other that may not know each other, it's involving that the people on either side of the individual that you're addressing in some way. You try to make those connections because as people make connections, they feel more comfortable. They don't feel isolated. And, you know, yep. that's, that's growing what, that community. You're growing that yep. community. And, you know, you may be forming some friendships that only exist within that space. But they're friendships nonetheless. Yes, awesome stuff. Man, we're only a few minutes into this thing, and you're just dropping gold on us. So, uh, bar, you, you, you're owning, you're operating this bar in 1991. Anything uh, about this first experience that you weren't anticipating? Any hurdles that you had to get over uh, early on uh, that you can share with somebody uh, maybe who is trying to open their first place right now? Well, the first thing was I, I had no idea how much time was involved. Um, <laughs> At that point in my life, I didn't know that I was capable of working 100-hour weeks, but it was necessary. That's one of the things that right away came in. And at the time, I I had a family with small children. Actually, my my daughter was only uh, 11 days old when I closed on my first business. So uh, there were a lot of challenges there, and those weren't all anticipated. Um, the other thing that I that I, that I found a challenge, and I think a lot of people find challenging when they get into the restaurant business or open their first restaurant of their own is how challenging hiring and staffing mm. can be. Um, whether you're buying an existing business that might come with some employees or you're starting from the ground up, it's it's difficult. And each of those presents its own challenges. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've, I've had experience in both. Um, and I can say that uh, employees are probably one of the biggest challenges you'll run into. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure as we get going, as as we talk, some of these these lessons you learned about how to attract and retain those people will come out. Um, so what I am curious about right now is uh, the idea about time. So when you had no idea uh, how much time it took when you first got started, uh, but eventually you started opening. You opened three other locations by 2000. Uh, was it 2005? Uh, two, yeah. two, uh, I'm sorry. 1994, I opened my second location. Okay. So you had to learn something about time management, right? And you had to, yes. to get better at that. So how did you get better at that? Well, what I really learned was delegation. And I also, I think a big part of that was learning to recognize traits and employees that would indicate that they had a future in management and even perhaps ownership. Um, I worked very actively to recruit a, a different type of manager than uh, I was seeing at, at similar establishments in the area. Um, I did actually have quite a few uh, employees that I hired that were fresh out of college. Okay. Why? Why were you looking for that type of employee? Uh, I was looking for people that could look at long term, and I was looking for people that were motivated. Uh, you know, and many times in 1991 to 1996, uh, the economy was pretty good, but the job market right out of college still wasn't great for a lot of people. And I, I was looking for people that had aspirations of doing more with their life, but they saw that in order to get there, they needed to gain more skills mm-hmm. and they needed to get a different skill set. Mm-hmm. And I really tapped into that and I made a lot of connections. Those, those person-to-person connections where you hire, hire a good person and you just really need to find out, who do you know that's like you? Mm. Which of your friends are like you? Do you have any other friends that, that want to have a job like this? And um, I, I would often say, I, I don't want the rest of your life. 
I, I just want you to have a couple of good years and give yourself the opportunity and to move on. Yeah, and I think that's huge right there, knowing that it's not about you, what they can do for you, but what can I do for them? How can I serve them? How can I get them to the next level? And if you sell yourself to them and not necessarily let them sell themselves to you, it's amazing what can change there. Uh, so, uh, oh, man, what do we talk about next? There's so much potential. Like I know you're just an abundance of knowledge. Um, so I guess how did you provide this opportunity? How did you pitch, did you, how did you pitch yourself to, to these people? I pitch myself by being a little different. Okay. For one, um, way back in the 90s, I offered health insurance to my management employees. And back then, in the bar and grill business, that was just unheard of. (laughs) Those are the words that were in my mind as you, yeah. And and people were saying, wait, hold it. So I would say, look, if you work a full schedule for me and take on some of these responsibilities, uh, I will, you know, I'll provide health insurance. Now, Granted, health insurance was a lot less expensive back then, and it, it and you could get pretty decent coverage at, at a pretty reasonable cost. But for me, that was an investment, and it made people stay. And it made and I also wanted to give people a feeling that they were contributing to something a little greater. So it was this was always this is our business, this is our place, you know, th- this is our house. Um, I let my employees know from the very start that I supported them. If uh, if there was an issue, I would take their side unless it was conclusively proven that they were in the wrong. But I would always take their side. That that was one thing that I really tried to offer. Um, I'm going to point out that one of my customers who became an employee, who became a, a manager, eventually became a partner in two of those businesses that I bought down the line. Okay, so I'm. This is really interesting because I wanted to ask, how did you know it was time to open the second location? Um, so I don't want to. I don't want to say too much. I'll let you give your reason. Well, for me, it was opportunity. Opportunity presented itself. Um, I I wasn't actively seeking it, um, but people started to look around and say, "Okay, I like the way that place is run." Hey, I, you know, uh, and, and you know, it, it, actually, my second place came from my one of my sons was in a play group. One of the other parents knew uh, that someone whose family member had this bar and grill that was struggling mightily, mm-hmm. failing mm-hmm. miserably, and they said, "Gosh, if there was some way they could just get out of this." And my friend said, "I know this guy named Doug, and he bought a bar." A couple of towns down, and he, he's really turned it around. So they called me. We sat down. It was perhaps the fastest, easiest business nego- negotiation ever. Um, it was a deal that I just simply couldn't pass up, and uh, it, it, it turned out to be a real positive for me. Sounds like you were an exit strategy. You, you, somebody needed to get out. They're looking for a way to get out. And if you can be that exit strategy for somebody, that's amazing the deals you can get. Uh, but, I mean, do you want to reflect on what I just said? or? Well, I, I do. I want to say, you know, what it was was I tried to be reasonable and decent with people. And I, I was willing to take on challenges, problem children. Um, in the case of my second bar and grill, uh, my first one had they, they hadn't had a great relationship with the mayor or the police department 
in this little suburb. And I changed that. And when I began to look at the second place, who also hadn't had a great relationship with the mayor or the police department, the mayor of the town where I already owned a place actually reached out to the mayor of the other town and said, you want this guy. Okay. I want to, uh, I kind of want to put some structure to this conversation. So, um, I was just about to ask you, how, how would you turn around a failing business? And it sounds like based off of what you said up to this point, just in the couple, last couple minutes was, uh, you recognize what the challenges were and you addressed those challenges. You went to, uh, the relationships that seemed like there were issues. So just take it from the top. Like what, what, how do you turn around a failing business? If you're going in, if, if you're taking over a business that's struggling in a community that kind of has a bad reputation, how do you flip that around? Well, the first thing you do is you, you look at the whole picture. And, you know, it, it, it really boils down to people, products, and equipment. You know, are these problems, are they, are they based on personnel? Or are they based on clientele? Um. Are, is it based on the on the products that you're offering or that you're not offering? Okay. So you're basically doing your SWOT analysis. You're looking at this business. You're looking at their strengths, their weaknesses, their opportunities, all that stuff. And you're, you're identifying the weaknesses. And then that's where you spend most of your attention is on the weaknesses? Yes. Yeah. But, okay. But th- that has to be, you know, when, when you solve these problems, you always have to look at, you know, a sound strategy is always about building and saving at the same time. So what can I build on? What, you know, what can I, what's here that's good? I'm going to build on that. What's here that's negative? I'm going to remove that or, or change that. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. Back in the day, it, it could be as easy as the music that was on the jukebox. Mm-hmm. So what was it about, I'm curious, what was it about the first location, aside from the relationships, that when you, when you looked at that operation, what was struggling with it? Uh, they had serious issues with the quality of products that they were offering. Uh, they had um, serious issues with some of their personnel. Um, and, you know, I quickly changed those. Um, I changed some, I, I changed the way the products were offered. And, you know, looking back now, it may seem kind of trite, but they they offered all their beers in a can back then. Well, now that's, you know, that's kind of a cool thing, yeah. right? <laughs> It wasn't cool in 1991. Okay. Um, and, you know, people back then very much preferred drinking beer out of glass. Yeah. So I changed over to all bottles away from cans. Um, the bar was staffed by friends of the previous owner's girlfriend. And um, it, it was not guest-focused mm-hmm. at all. It was, uh, it was the opposite of guest-focused. Mm-hmm. So you went in there, you, you got rid of uh, the product issue, uh, the cans versus glasses, uh, and you also got rid of the people issue. Did you just say, get out of here, or did you provide opportunity to these people, or did you did you wipe out what was there? I, I did not wipe the slate clean. <laughs> I, I came in, and I, and I sort of made it obvious that you know it was probably time to move on. There were you know perhaps a, a couple of employees that took a little longer than others. But the other thing I did was I, I changed the format and how uh, how the grill portion of the business worked. Um, I promoted food very heavily. I priced it extremely competitively. Um, I hired someone to come in and cook full time that um, would uh, would be dedicated to it. I elevated some of the products. 
to just offer a real value to give people another reason to come in something different. But you kept the same brand, right? The same logo, the same name, or did you change that? No, that was a, it was a complete okay. Okay. Yes. okay. And and that was part of the strategy. Yeah. I, I came in and basically wiped every sign of that former identity off. Mm-hmm. Um, it, every single picture or sign that was on the wall came down. The sign on the front of the building was quickly replaced um, with, you know, with a completely different kind of sign. Mm-hmm. It was a very different name, um, and and I did a lot to build that brand. Uh, I very quickly created T-shirts and hats and things that I could market to the public mm-hmm. and and have my, you know, I made sure that all my employees were dressed um, appropriately. And, uh, that, you know, that they w- were wearing branded items to really put out that this is a change. This is different. Okay. So um, you can come into a restaurant and, and you can change the food. You can change the way it appears. But you, you, it's not as easy to change the culture with the same people that existed. So how did you, how did you change that culture? What, what things did you do to change the way people acted and how they behaved? Well, you know, I actually mentioned the jukebox. And back then, you know, that was before <laughs> the days of all digital music. And you can change the the crowd just by changing the music. So Mm. I changed some of the music. And I sort of, I guess I learned to identify the music that was closely related to some of the negative behavior that I saw. Okay. So I removed that music, put put other music in. I got guest input, you know. I asked the clientele, you know, what do you want to listen to? What do you want to have on the jukebox? And and I did that. I, I changed the lighting a little bit in the rest in the establishment, which kind of seems funny, but you know, it's uh, softer lighting actually makes people calm down a little bit. Okay, and uh, you know, I, I changed that. I changed, you know, I changed the atmosphere, okay. and that helped change the, the clientele. What about the people that were working for you? Uh, the people that were working for me, I just brought in additional people. You know, I look at it kind of like overseeding your lawn. Yeah. Okay. You don't just rip out all the grass and put down new sod. You can. Yeah. It's extremely expensive. It's it's easier to dethatch it and overseed. You bring in new, and the new grass grows, and it brings the other grass up with it. Oh, uh, okay. I, I love it. So, uh, the second location, same deal. Was it a new? Was it a rebrand? Same it, took over. It was a it was a very similar situation. Extremely similar situation. And it was once again rebranded. In that case, we came in and it was a massive deep cleaning and a total repainting of, you know, and that, that might sound kind of silly, but uh, if we went to you know a, a more updated color scheme and uh, we made some other changes. Uh, in that case, the kitchen hadn't been open for years in this establishment. We reopened it, brought in a great sandwich selection, you know, put a full-time kitchen person in and said, you know, this is a place where you can come for lunch. This is a place where you can come and, and, and grab a burger after work. Um, if you come here and, you know, it's it's 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night, when every other kitchen is closed, we'll get you chicken strips and fries. Mm. So we, we, we really angled on that. And one of the things that I did in both of the establishments that helped me a lot was I really reached out to the young people from the community that had just entered adulthood, basically. Okay. You know, the people that were out, you know, just graduating from college or maybe they were getting their first apartment. And we really reached out to those people and said, you know, this is a welcoming place. Beautiful. Okay, so you still, I mean, we're still 
with so much of your career we haven't even tapped into yet. So you opened two more additional locations. Uh, sorry, one, two, total of four, right? Total of four. Okay, yes. so two more additional locations. Any big lessons from those experiences that you can drop on us before we talk about why you transitioned to consulting? Okay, yes. Uh, the, the next location I opened was a cafe. Uh, it was not a bar and grill. Uh, it was only open for breakfast and lunch. Um, it didn't even have a fryer. It was more geared towards healthy options, and um, it was critically successful and not very successful financially. And what I learned from that was you can't over-address a specific demographic when you're doing a business plan. So for me, I looked around and saw that there were all these people that wanted vegetarian options, people that wanted healthier options. People that wanted a you know a good place to eat breakfast that, pardon the expression, wasn't a greasy spoon, and uh, actually uh, that restaurant Cafe Luna was one of the first 100 non-smoking restaurants in the state of Illinois. Oh wow! Long before it became law anywhere. And this is what year we're talking? This like- is 1996. Okay. Um, so you can't over say it again. You can't overly address one demographic, a specific demographic, when you're writing the the business plan. So for me, I was looking for, you know, I was looking to address a demographic, and they loved it. They really did. Uh, you know, I had a vegetarian item on the menu that got a, an award for being the best new vegetarian menu item in this trade area, newspaper trade area. But there weren't enough people buying that item. There, there weren't enough people looking for a 100% smoke-free place to have mm-hmm. breakfast. And uh, for me, the, the, the business was just not enough, and I ended up uh, selling the business. So you can't over-address a demographic, um, but it didn't – I guess – diving. I don't know if I'm quite picking up what you mean by you can't over-address. I mean, I think I know what you mean. Like you're focusing on one demographic. You're going to be everything to that, that demographic that wants to relate itself with healthy – Lifestyle, right? Like you're, that's your demographic. That's your target. Um, you can't over address that. What was it about the situation? Aside from there just wasn't enough people at that time who cared about these things. Was that all it was? Well, th- that was the, the biggest part of it. There were there were some other, you know, more structurally based things. Uh, we had some parking issues that I wasn't aware of when I opened the business. Uh, you know, there was a, a road widening that took away a, a lot of street parking. Okay. There was a lot of construction in the area. But those those were minor things compared to the fact that, uh, you know, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I was very proud of the fact that I didn't even have a fryer. Guess what? People really like French fries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if they go someplace, guilty as charged. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, you can tell people they shouldn't eat fried food, but maybe if they want to eat fried food, it should be available. Yeah. And those those were some of the things. And when I say over address a demographic, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, if I would have broadened that appeal a little bit, maybe it would have worked better. Um, but you did say you can't over address a demographic, right? But you can. But you, no, I'm sorry, you can't. You, okay. you cannot. You, okay. But is it is that what happened here? I, no, I'm you? sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's confusing semantically there. Now, um, you should not over-address. Okay. So have a target market, but also have the options for the friends that come with those people. Like, right. You want to make sure you're appeasing everybody, but you're going to lean into one target audience that is your bread and butter. You're, you're, like the, the one that comes to your, your loyal customer, right? Correct. Yes, gotcha. but keeping your appeal broad enough that you can you can uh, you know have a successful business based on that broad appeal. 
Mm-hmm. So um, ultimately, you sold this cafe. Yes. And when did you know it was time to sell? Uh, it probably honestly, it was about six, eight months in. It took a little longer than that to actually find somebody to to take over, and they did a you know they did the same thing a, a rebranding of it. But um, there were you know once and they honestly didn't make it either. It was probably more of a location issue. Okay, what was wrong with the location aside from the parking? Uh, uh, parking and accessibility were probably the the two biggest things. It was in a very old building with some limited accessibility. What was what made it unaccessible? Uh, I'm, I'm I'm actually talking about you know there were steps up into it. Oh, okay. You had to kind of walk up around a hill okay. to get there. Okay. Um. So eventually, uh, we don't need to talk about the other location because it sounds like that was more of just like a retail. Yes. Okay. So uh, eventually, you get to the point where you you're you had enough with ownership, uh, and you said to yourself, you're you're going to consult. Uh, I'm just I'm obviously making assumptions at this point. Talk us through what was going on. All right. So. It was a little more double left turn okay. than that. So I was a very, very ardent um, independent business person. Um, to, to point in fact, the uh, our logo, or I'm sorry, our slogan at Cafe Luna included a logo that had uh, chains around the edge of the, all of our print ad and that said, break out of the chains. I was rabidly independent (laughs) somewhere a switch flipped in my head and said i can't keep trying to reinvent things and i found a franchise that i found really appealing and um it was it was a very appealing franchise and i bought into that franchise what made it appealing it made it appealing to me because it it had different pieces of the things i tried to do before it was what was called a family sports pub so this is a sports pub atmosphere that's not a bar. Uh, it was only open until 11. At that point, quite frankly, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning was starting to get a little yeah. rough for me. And um, I, you know, I said, okay, here's a, a business that's just open until 11 p.m. And you know, they have a great beer selection and they sell these incredible buffalo wings. But at the same time, it's not a bar. And I, I found that appealing. And actually, I, I, I guess I would say I had an epiphany and said, I think I can change. I think I can be a franchise owner. So what was it about? I mean, dive deeper into that. Why you, th- you feel like you, you could change? Why it was worth changing? Why did you want to change? Well, basically, I think that we, we're continually learning. And, yeah. and when we stop learning, we start dying. So yeah. I, I looked around and I was – and I to be – completely transparent about it uh at first i was looking to steal ideas okay and uh you know there there aren't many really original ideas out there so i was i i found this concept it was based out of florida i traveled to florida intent on stealing a lot of their ideas (laughs) and when i got down there i really became enamored of the concept okay and i met with uh their vice president at the time, and um, he was a very convincing gentleman, and uh, everyone was incredibly likable, and uh, they just convinced me that I was, I was, you know, going to be a good part of their team. That this was going to be a good move for me. I feel like there's a lesson here on how we can turn somebody. So, what do you think that they did, or what was it about their approach to 
uh, recruiting you that worked? What worked was they made me feel that my ardent independent streak was not a detriment. It was an asset. They made they convinced me that my independent spirit worked well in their framework because they weren't like the other franchises. Okay. And indeed, they really weren't like the other franchises. What made them different? Um, what made them different is they did welcome people with all ranges of experience. Um, uh, they, they welcomed people with no restaurant experience, even people with no business experience. So what they did was convince me that I would be you know, very welcome in there and that they wouldn't look down on me for having been such a ardent independent before. Okay, awesome. Um, do, you, do, you t- do you think you took that, that lesson and do you apply it today? Uh, I think I do. I mean, it, it's different because you're working within independence, but there's still something there, I feel like. The lessons that I learned there, both as a franchisee and as a franchise consultant for the franchisor, are used every day. Okay. So dive into some of those lessons. If you can narrow it down to like three lessons, like three big takeaways, things that made you better. I mean, so ultimately you did steal something from these people and it wasn't necessarily like the, the tricks of like the operational. Maybe there was some stuff there too, but it, w- it seems like it was mostly with the people. Well, I, there, there, there was a good mixture of both. Actually. Okay. Cool. You know, and, and some of those things are opportunities to view things in a different way. Um, and one of the things I took away was unintentional on their part. And, uh, the, the company that I worked for went through a uh, a restructuring after they were leveraged uh, by a private equity group, and so uh, an entire new manage upper level management team came in, and they came in and they had a completely different background than the people who had sold me a franchise, and they looked at things differently. So I got to see both sides of that. So I, I would say. What, you know, one of the differences these these gentlemen and they're highly respected, they're hardworking, they're top notch people, but they had a very decidedly quick serve background. And coming from more of the casual dining side, the, the differences are things like casual dining sees guests, quick serve sees transactions, casual dining sees employees, quick serves sees shifts. Mm. So I learned that that differentiation. I learned that, you know, these are the different ways you can look at things. But, you know, and I learned that I, I like that casual dying mm-hmm. way much better. I, I, I'm right there with you. But at the same time, there's a lot that you can benefit from by it's almost like you to hit a switch. Right, like the the human part of us wants to be leaning towards the casual dining side, the human element, the hospitality. Uh, but from a business perspective, if you can if you're able to hit that quick service switch to like look at things from a purely uh, transactional standpoint, like the numbers, uh, I can tell you a lot about your business and what you can be doing better to increase those margins, but not at the expense of losing the human side. Right. Right. So what, I mean, what things like, how do you do that? How do you find that balance? Well, it, it is an issue of balance and this, this works perfectly into a personal uh, philosophy that I try to hold, which is that of balance and balance in blending. And if you think about the sim- symbols for yin and yang, you've got the light and the dark, and they both curve into the other, but there's a spot of mm-hmm. each in the other. And it's that blending. It's that blending of systems and culture. It's that blending of 
Is it a transaction or is it a guest? Well, sometimes it's a transaction. Sometimes it's a guest. Neither one is completely right or completely wrong. It's a blending of it's that. Both. Yeah. When when does it when does it work out that that we look at it that way? So. I learned those lessons. I learned a lot of systems lessons mm-hmm. from my time as a franchise consultant. And I learned the importance of systems. But I also learned that your systems always have to inform your culture and your culture always has to inform your systems. Mm. And they need to they need to balance and blend. So I feel like we've been talking a lot about the human element up to this point, but they some like drop some bombs on us, if you will, uh, on some of the lessons, the system lessons you learned. Well, one of my favorites in that I, I use consistently is called the nine box model, and it's plan, execute, and evaluate across the top axis, and so across the horizontal axis and across the vertical axis, axis you have people, products, and equipment. So. Every shift should involve those nine boxes. So you're going to plan, you're going to execute, and you're going to evaluate people, products, and equipment. And there's a flow that actually feeds back. You know, it's called a, a feedback loop. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, in, uh, the Air Force had a term that they coined, uh, coined called the OIDA loop. So it's about observe, orient, Decide action, so, so, so the so you get the OODA loop. Okay, so you're you so you're doing these things and they loop back. So, you plan, execute, and evaluate. So let's talk about people. So you got your people. You you plan this shift. You execute this shift. How did the shift work with those people on it? And then that evaluation feeds back into the next plan. Mm, the next day too, right? You're the always next day, the next You're shift, always- the next. Yes. So the same thing, you know. So products, you know, this is I, I plan to have this much of an item. I executed that. I'm going to evaluate the analysis. I over prepped. I under prepped. Um, that's that's not the right item for that, you know. So it's going to loop back into that. Now, is this something that you were doing on your own? Where did you have like a checklist of like items you were doing this process with every every day? You, you can, when in my consulting life, we took that nine box model and we could overlay it in just about everything. Okay. And and what we encourage our franchisees to do was to take that and apply that nine box model. To daily operation, weekly operation, monthly. So they were always, you know, going through that process. So you just have to figure out what category it, it lands in. Is it people? Is it products? Or is it equipment? Beautiful. Oh, man, this has been just jam-packed full of great advice. We haven't even gotten to the point where you eventually you get out of uh, the, the – the, well, you – I don't even know if we touched on the point where you transition away from corporate or for, um, the franchise – E being a franchisee and now you're actually consulting, which we just touch on a little bit. Um, eventually you get out of consulting and you, you join the Awida Michael restaurant group. Uh, why get out? What, what, what brought you back to the fiercely independent mentality or was it a uh, rapidly independent mentality? <laughs> it, it could be either of those, <laughs> but uh, to, to be perfectly honest, it was, it was really uh, family considerations that mm-hmm. made me change. Um, my my old position as a franchise consultant, I covered 48 restaurants in 22 states. Wow. I spent from 175 to 200 nights a year in a hotel. How do you manage all those um, relationships? Um, 
it's you know it's significantly it, 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 it it's a process but it's about making connections yeah it's about I, I you know I I am still connected to some of my franchisees who I consider friends mm-hmm. we became friends because I made a connection with them and and they still mean something to me and mm-hmm. I'd like to think that I still mean something to them yeah but. As I was doing that, and you know, it, and things were going well, um, I was spending less and less time at home. And part of my position as a franchise consultant was also to open new restaurants, and this was a very growth-oriented concept. So I was opening. You know, sometimes I would I would be gone for two weeks to open a restaurant. I would be home for less than twenty-four hours, and then I'd be off to be gone for two weeks to open another restaurant. I'd be home one day a month, and basically, my, my wife finally pointed out that I was, in her words, missing my life. Mm. And uh, she wanted to see more of me. Mm-hmm. And I said, I really don't know how I would do this. And she said, you know, you could work with Wida. Mm. And, uh, so know, at this point, did you know Wida or were you I, friends? I, I did know Wida. We, we go to the same church and my wife has known Wida for years. And, and I was a big fan of yeah. the Wida Michael restaurants. And as a matter of fact, I used to, uh, when I'd have colleagues come in, from our home office in Tampa, I would make it a point to take them to Wallace Station or, or Holly Hill or Windy Corner. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was proud to say that Wida was my friend and she was doing all this incredible stuff as an independent. And uh, so it, it was a process and it, was, it took a few months for me to finally come to terms with the idea that it was time for me to make a change because there's comfort and stability in a position that you've held for eight years. Yeah. You know, uh, what's so this is actually how you came onto my radar because I had Wida on the show as a past guest and I asked her the question along the lines of how did you scale? What did, what things like you have all these different restaurants, you can't be everything to everyone. Uh, like how did you, what made you get to the point where you are today? And she pointed you out. She said, well, we recruited amazing talent in Doug Mullins and he came in and he uh was the 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 organized part the the I guess the the director of operations essentially uh your title and having that person who can come in and put structure to everything so take us through what that process was like when you I mean Awida's restaurants were great before you got here but what did you do how did you come into the the picture and how did you take it up a level well you know it Sometimes when you talk about turnarounds, it, it sort of insinuates that there was a negative yeah. before. We all know that's not true in the situation. But, but <laughs> that, that's not always true. In this in this case, it was it was fine tuning, mm-hmm. and it was um, you know it was making at first very subtle changes. Uh, some of the things were you know redesigning uh, expo or cook lines, um, pointing out you know historical inefficiencies. Um, developing and uh, purchasing strategies, um, creating contract purchase items. Uh, you know, th- those are the things that when you talk about scalability, that you need to make sure that the results are replicable. And so I would take a change that was made in one location, and the menus are different at every location, with the exception, of course, our two Smith towns. But um, you say, okay, I'm, I'm doing this differently at this location. Now I'm going to take it over here. And although we're talking about maybe a different menu item, this is, you know, we're going to do this. We're going to use this item. Or, you know, perhaps it's a, I'll use shrimp as an example. Um, Wida was 
not happy with the idea that some of the shrimp they were using four years ago was farm-raised shrimp or Asian shrimp. So we sourced a domestic wild-caught, really high-quality shrimp, and we're using it across all the restaurants. It has different applications, but there's commonality there. So we can have stability of price in that, and that helps out that way. Some of the other ways that you know things can be turned around are just really codifying some of the the management structure and the communication systems. Okay. So what did that management structure look like before you got it? Well, uh, basically, WIDA was at the top, and um, then there were chefs and general managers and assistant general managers, and there weren't a lot of clear lines there. Everyone knew they reported to WIDA. That was the one given. But otherwise, it's does, you know, does this sous chef report to the chef or does he report only to the chef or also to the general manager? How do these things work? So we created you know, we, uh, flow charts to show everyone what the chain of command was mm-hmm. and how communication should flow. Almost like a hierarchy. Uh, it is indeed a hierarchy. Yeah. And, but, you know, it, it, you know, those sort of guidelines help people. They help people know who who am I responsible to, but also who do I go for, to for help. Mm-hmm. If I have a problem, do I leapfrog everybody and go right to the top, or do would I be better to try to solve it, you know, from my you know my immediate supervisor? Well, the mm-hmm. answer is immediate supervisor. Yeah. So you follow it up. Otherwise, you know, with nearly two hundred employees. The person at the top would only just answer their phone. So what you just shared with us um, was the management structure, and also it plays into the communication. So you said management structure and the communication, because now people know who to directly report to. Is that what you meant by management and communication, or was there something else there? That no, that, that's accurate. Okay. Uh, the other cool thing about the hierarchy and actually mapping these things out, too, is uh, is identifying... Well, let me ask you, what are the other benefits of doing this? I don't want to take the i want you to i want this to come from you well uh, you know when you when you take those uh organizational charts and you overlay them onto everything then everyone has a framework to work with mm-hmm. yes and we we all like to have a framework you know even the fastest super highways have shoulders yes okay and uh, if you've driven around in Kentucky at all, you know we're really <laughs> fond of our rumble strips because we have almost no shoulder. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we need to make sure that people know the, this is the pathway that you're following. And also, it, it lets people know that they're not alone. Mm-hmm. They're not on an island. You know, there is someone else. And as you move up, there's, you know, there's always someone else above you until you get to Weta's position. And then you just have it all. Yeah. It, you know, <laughs> all the grief just lands on you if it gets to your level. But, you know, the other thing that I, th- I think that organizational charts really help is it helps people develop problem-solving skills because they know that they can solve a problem at their level of the organization. Yes. yes. And it's delegation and empowerment. Yes. You know, you, you delegate a reasonable number of tasks to subordinates, but then you empower them to solve those problems. Yes. You know, (laughs) and one of the things I, 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 especially a couple of my GMs, I would tell them, don't call me to tell me what the problem is. 
until you're ready to offer a solution at mm-hmm. the same time. Mm-hmm. So I said, even if it's the wrong one, if it's the wrong solution or it won't work, I'll tell you right away. At least try to figure it out. But just take a shot at yeah. it. Yeah. And, and just call me and say, I've got this problem. Here's what I think I should do. That's great. That's a great idea. You run with it. Or that would be good, but it's probably not going to work. Try this instead. So, you know, if you delegate and empower, those are the two things that really help out. Mm. We got to start thinking about the speed round uh, before we say goodbye and we're, we're running out of time. But anything before we move into the speed round uh, that y- you want to drop on us during this free flowing portion of the conversation, anything that we haven't hit on, anything you're hoping to shine on a light on before we move into that speed round? I think we've covered quite a bit. Yeah, it's been awesome. I, I, you know, I'm always going to get back to my idea of that, of that, that balance and blend um, and to be open to two sides. Mm-hmm. And I always like to say there are three sides to every argument. One side, the other side, and what actually is the issue. <laughs> so t- take a look at it that way. Uh, and that's probably about it. Just to really emphasize on everyone that that systems and culture blend goes the same for lots of other things. Yeah, so I'm curious, one last question before we move on. Reflecting back at your career, is there a point, a moment, where you're happiest? Well, uh, right now, because I live in the present. Yes. Because you learn from the past, you live in the present, and you plan for the future. Mm-hmm. But Right now, I'm happy, mm-hmm. and, and, and I live in the present, so that's what I'm concerned about. You're also on the independent side. Uh, <laughs> sorry, a little plug for the independence. That's where my heart is. Uh, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> I totally get what you're saying. Um, okay, we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Payroll and benefits, it's hard. Sometimes it feels like this foreign language, especially for small businesses. I mean, you, you're too busy running your business. You don't have time to be an expert in all things taxes and regulations. That's why there's Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. PC Mag and Fit Small Business have called Gusto the best payroll for small businesses. Gusto will save you time. 72% of customers spend less than five minutes to run their payroll. Gusto is more efficient and reliable. Four out of five customers actually reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto. People who succeed in this industry have access to systems and information, and Gusto will provide both. You no longer have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service. To help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and get three months free once you run your first payroll. Just go to gusto.com slash unstoppable. G-U-S-T-O dot com slash unstoppable. All right, guys, it's time to get real and answer this question honestly. Does the quality of your website match the quality of your restaurants? If the answer is no, you need to do something about it because 89% of your guests will go to your website before going to your restaurant. So you've got to make sure you're bringing it to all aspects of your business. And this is where Bento Box comes in. Not only will Bento Box help you deliver your brand and your story online, but it will help you leverage 
leverage the full potential of the internet because websites are no longer static brochures. They're dynamic tools that help you drive revenue. With Bento Box, easily update menus, promote events, share press, sell gift cards, take catering orders, and book private events, plus way more directly from your website. Find out why Bento Box is trusted by thousands of restaurants around the world, including past and future guests like Suvla, Pizza Emily, 11 Madison Park, The Meatball Shop, and more. Head to GetBento.com and make sure you mention Restaurants Unstoppable to get up to $1,500 off your initial setup. We're back. The first question I have for you is, what is your it factor? A habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Persistence. What is your biggest weakness? I'm always going to have to say it's uh, my inability to not take things personally. Mm. Uh, What is one question you ask or quality you look for when recruiting people and building your team? I look for the ability to make a connection. Mm. What is your biggest challenge today? My biggest challenge today is continuing to implement systems in a meaningful and productive way. Share one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team that's unstandard in the industry. This is a a way to be, a way to act. It's the simplest of all. Treat other people the way you would like to be treated. Beautiful. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? This is like the things we do uh, that's standard within your restaurants but not standard within the industry. Standard within our industry is we don't say no problem or we say my pleasure. Um, and the the other thing that I think is a standard within our restaurants is we use what WIDA likes to call the 10-4 rule, which is at 10 feet away, you acknowledge the guests visually. At four feet away, you make sure you speak to mm. them, whether you're just walking by them with a basket full of food or you're greeting them as they walk in the door. And why is it so important to not say no problem? Well, it's never a problem. It's never a problem to offer a a service to a guest, to offer hospitality. Um, And I I would also add to that that I always try to to teach my employees that whether we're welcoming a guest who's coming in the door or calling on the telephone, we should treat them as if they were an invited guest in our home that we had been expecting and waiting for, and we couldn't wait for them to arrive. Beautiful. I love it. What is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? Well, I'm going to do two on this, okay? Better Person is The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, I think if you can learn to at least consider The Four Agreements, that can help make you a better person. It was suggested to me by of VP that I used to work for my old position, and uh, it's been a tremendous help to me. A professional book that I really like, and it may not apply to a lot of independents now, but as you grow, Multi-Unit Leadership by Jim Sullivan Ooh. has been a, a great book for me. It's something that I continue to use and I continue to teach to my general managers in terms of how you see yourself as a servant leader. 
Yes, and that's one that hasn't, or that's been recommended on the show a couple times, multi-unit leadership. Um, but I have not gone around to reading it yet, so I'm really excited. I see it; you have it right here in front of us, uh, so that has me excited. And I've never done this before on the show, but I'm just remembering that I asked your boy Dan Wu the same question, and he said he couldn't think of anything. Uh, and he's sitting right behind you right now, and he said he said we would come back, we would come back to the question. But now that I'm remembering that he didn't answer the question and he's sitting right behind you, Dan, did you think of a book? <laughs> no, I'm never coming back. <laughs> um, I only read comic books. Okay. Yeah. What's your favorite comic book? Uh, right now, probably Saga. Saga. Yeah. Okay. All right. I tried. <laughs> All right. So- I'll, I'll throw an extra book in for Dan. Okay. <laughs> okay ready? This is Dan's book by proxy, Full Catastrophe Living by John Kabat-Zinn. Ooh, nice. I love these. Thank you so much. Okay, share an online resource or tool that you leverage daily or an, weekly. An online think. resource or tool. Um, well, we. I, I don't know that I have a great answer to that okay. because, you know, I, I have a really strong library of tools that yep. I use that, that, that uh, you know, I'm a, my desktop on my computer is packed with things because I, I leave everything on my desktop. Yeah. Um, I do one, one online thing I do is I, I reach into the secure access program that uh, monitors our POS systems at least daily, if okay. not more often. So. Is there a name to that or is it just with the system? It's uh, it's through uh, NCR Aloha. It's, it's their secure access system. Uh, for me, it allows me to run uh, PMX reports and sales reports, labor reports. It allows me to, you know, monitor trends. So that's something that I use quite a bit. That I guess would technically be online because I access yeah. it online. Okay. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted in your restaurants that has influenced operations? And this sounds like what you just shared with us. Or well, is there anything else you can think of? I would say hot schedules. Hot schedule. Uh, it, we were slow adopters to it. Um, I'd had a number of franchise locations in the in my past life that had used it, and uh, when we opened uh, Honeywood uh, last summer, one of our newest restaurants, um, we brought that in uh, from the start, and uh, it showed its value immediately. And I know there are other scheduling programs out there, uh, not a specific plug for that one, but but having a scheduling program has been the one piece of technology that that's been really meaningful for us. And it's great to hear somebody like you say that. Cause I say that sometimes, uh, and I feel like people really ju- uh, justify, have trouble justifying the cost, the expense to $30, $50, depending on how big your restaurant, $120 a month, depending on how big your restaurant is. Uh, but why is it so impactful? How is it paid for itself? Well, for me, it, it, it you know, and I, because I don't actually do the schedules. So this is some from previous experience. Um, it, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it, mm-hmm. and you know, just the 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 you know giving away and picking up shifts or or you know looking at labor models. It helps a lot with that. I will say that one of the first things I learned to delegate, you know, twenty some years ago now, when I when I bought my first bar and grill, was the first thing I realized is that if I had a really capable manager, I could have them do the schedule. <laughs> and it, took it out. and it, was, it, it was miraculous for my stress level. Oh, I bet. And, you know, they had a vested interest in making sure that schedule was done properly because if something didn't get covered, it was, it was up to them. Mm-hmm. So 
you know, I think hot schedules takes a lot of that out or scheduling programs in general. But also, like, your job as the owner or manager or director of operations is to make sure your people have the tools to do the job. And if you're delegating that, it's your responsibility that, that, that you're giving them a platform, one that they can understand easily, but other, the other thing, so you can train them easily in how to use it so there's less resistance on the, de- the, the, the act of delegating it, right? Correct. So uh, I, I think – I always say if there's one thing that you need to acquire for your restaurant that will pay for itself is labor management software. Uh, one of the things that I think that you can justify getting. But anyway, um, all right, this is the last question. That's a big one. Are you ready for it? Okay. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind uh, for the good of humanity, for your legacy. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Uh, live in the moment. Learn from your past and always look forward. I love it. Oh, man, this has been a great conversation. When we got started, uh, Doug had mentioned to me that he was nervous. And I don't know why, because this was great. It was a, such an, uh, just an information-packed episode, tons of good advice in this conversation. Thank you so much, Doug. Uh, we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one independent restaurant operator, somebody you admire, uh, maybe somebody in Nashville, I'm going to be going there soon, or somebody locally uh, <laughs> that you think would make a great guest mentor on the show. Well, I'm going to tell you that, you know, I'm, I'm going to offer someone who is, uh, he, he's, he's not, uh, not a director of operations or a, an owner yet, but he's an outstanding executive chef, and he's got a wealth of knowledge and an incredible background, uh, Josh Mouse. The executive chef of Honeywood Restaurant. Uh, I thought that was, I had a feeling that's what was coming down the barrel, and I'm happy that you said that. Uh, is he, he's he's gone right now, right? He's taking. Uh, he's coming back from maternity leave tomorrow. Oh, that's right. Cool. Well, uh, Josh, look out! I'm coming after you, and let the folks at home know uh, how can we connect if we want to uh, pick up the conversation. Maybe we have a question about something that you mentioned. We. Uh, or we want to come join your team. We want to come get mentored by you. What's the best way to connect? Uh, the best way, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Douglas Mullins. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook. Uh, and it says clearly in my profile that I'm the Director of Operations, Chief Operating Officer for Weed and Michael Restaurants. And, and the other way is to catch me by email, and I'll answer them if I can. Okay. It's Douglas with one S dot M is in Martin dot Mullins, M U L L I N S at gmail.com. Beautiful. And uh, up to this point, I've said head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash the, re- the episode number, but I'm go- I've gotten so far ahead with the content that I don't know what number this is going to be. So I'll just say head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash Douglas Mullins, and you'll find a link to the tools and services that were recommended, uh, to the books that were recommended, plus a summary of today's discussion and how to connect with Doug all over there at restaurantunstoppable.com slash Douglas Mullins. Uh, and how do you spell that one more time? M-U-L-L-I-N-S. Beautiful. And I think that's all for today. Doug, thank you so much for taking the time to join us to to share your knowledge, to share your story. Uh, we are all just a little bit more unstoppable after listening to you. That's for sure. Then my uh, pleasure. <laughs> cheers. Yes, that was a great episode. Thank you again, Doug Mullins. And uh, man, 
I don't even know where to start with this one. I think obviously the big overarching lesson in today's conversation is that uh, that yin and yang, right? That balance between culture and systems, uh, transactions and uh, relationships, right? Like we we need to pay attention to to both sides of it, but we can't be extreme to either side. Uh, we need to be in that middle, that sweet spot where we're getting the perfect blend of culture and systems. Uh, and man, also just some really great nuggets uh, in today's conversation around service. Uh, I think this is one episode that you should get all of your your servers to listen to. Uh, how to uh, just you know listen to your guest, right? And to uh, make those connections. And the the ten four rule was another great little nugget. Uh, I mean, this thing was just packed full of great uh, nuggets. Also, I, I forgot to mention the. Uh, the difference between hospitality and service was a great explanation there. Man, this thing was packed. Uh, and not to mention the great advice on how to take over a failing business. Like literally around every turn, there was great advice in this conversation. Like, Doug, thank you again for taking the time to join us. And uh, guys, like always, please do reach out to me, Eric, at restaurantunstoppable.com. Uh, I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear your recommendations. I want to serve you. But the best way I can serve you is by knowing how you need to be served. And uh, yeah, you need to reach out to me. I don't, I, I can't, I, w- I wish I could reach out to you and reach into your heads and find out where the pain points are, but the world doesn't work like that. So yeah, <laughs> again, Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter, Eric Catchatori and Facebook slash restaurant unstoppable. Uh, some big things happening here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Really trying to take this thing to the next level, provide some better services. I don't want to reveal what those things are going to be yet. I want to make sure they're possible before I, uh, you know, promise. I don't want to promise and not deliver, but uh, something cool, some cool things are happening. I can promise you that. Uh, just stay tuned. I'll keep you posted. All right, guys, that's all for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. I love you all. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.